Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-396. This is your friend Chris. How are we doing? It's racing season, marathon racing season. We just had Chicago. New York is in a couple of weeks and every weekend hosts a plethora of regional races and major races in these few contiguous weeks of fall. And I myself am racing this Sunday at Bay State. And Jonathan, who we interview here today, is racing at Atlantic City. And if you've been with the show long enough, you might remember I raced there a few years back as well. It's an interesting loop course that starts and finishes on the boardwalk. And if you've ever seen boardwalk... <laughs> here's my my accent. If you've ever seen Boardwalk Empire on HBO, that's the boardwalk we're talking about. So today's show is about focus. And so far in this, I guess we might call it a series of themes. We looked at empowerment. And then last week we looked at endurance. And this week's theme is focus. As we talk through Jonathan's journey, listen to the focus that he brings to his training and his goal. He's like a berserker warrior in his single-minded focus on this achievement, and he's been able to have some success with this element of his approach. So obviously, I'm going to tease apart the concept of focus in section two, and in section one, I'm going to outline what I have learned over the years, about how to take large chunks off your finishing time, how to break plateaus, how to surprise yourself and get non-linear gains in your performance. It sounds like a new book I should write, huh? I'm as ready as I'll ever be for the Bay State Marathon Sunday. I'm fit. I got some decent training in, and I have no real injuries. I'm still a bit heavier than I'd like to be optimally, but I'm healthy. My training was up and down. I had some good ones, some bad ones. But it looks like the weather is going to be uh, decent, but a bit cold and windy, maybe. So if it holds where it is, it'll be just above freezing at the start, and there will be a 10 to 15 mile, mile an hour wind. I've run this course in, on uh, windy days before, 
and there are long stretches that are open to the wind. So it requires some some tactics, good tactical racing. And with the BAA lowering the qualification standards, or raising them, depending on your point of view, the race moved all the pace groups up five minutes. So that makes it easy for me, I guess. I'll just attach myself to the back of the 330 pace group, and I'll chill out there. Uh, Typically, this is a pretty big pace group, at least for the first half. (laughs) Who knows who who they'll uh, finish with. Uh, In this one, they actually use two pacers because it's a loop course. So they have one person pace through half and the other person pace through the back half, which I think is better on the pacers. So I can just stay in the back of the pack and stay out of the wind. Just try to idle along until we hit that final stretch across the river and see how I feel. And I'll either hang on for dear life or I'll drive it home. It seems old hat to say that we all get the same number of hours in the day. But focus, which we're going to talk about today, is how you find the leverage in what you have to achieve a goal. Think of a magnifying glass, right? When you were a kid, you held a magnifying glass. You held that glass in your hand, and you noticed that that convex lens focused the light. And at a certain height and angle, you found that that focal point, for our purposes, a focus point, This focus point collected all the sunlight power of those three to four inches of uh, glass and condensed them right to a point, that dot of light. And then you discovered maybe that this dot of light had the intensity to start fires in the dry leaves or fry unsuspecting insects. No, not you. So through focus, you were able to take that same patch of sunlight that might warm your cheek on a warm day and create overwhelming energy at one point. And that's the power of focus. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Big chunks. How to take big chunks off your time, off your finished results, Most people, when they start to engage regularly in endurance sports, make fairly rapid gains because they are doing an activity that they have not done consistently before, and it's all new, and they improve incrementally and consistently. The normal average human who starts a three times a week jogging routine after years of uh, sedimentary, and yes, I use the word sedimentary instead of sedentary because I like the mental image of sedimentary. (laughs) After years of a sedimentary lifestyle, we'll see amazing life changes. They will get stronger, they will get faster, and maybe they even get more serious and they begin to sign up for races and they do some extra training for the races and they do well. They will experience a period of time where there is a linear relationship between the effort they put in and the results that they get. But then they hit a plateau. The relationship is no longer linear. They put in more effort for the same results. Or worse, they put in more effort for worse results. And we see these people all the time, right? And they're stuck. They don't know what to do. So how do you get out of these stuck points? That's a great question. But an even better question is how do you make a giant leap forward from one of these stasis points? And the answer, it seems, is practically simple but hard to wrap your head around if you're one of these athletes. 
So the two levers that you can pull to get big chunks of improvement are volume and intensity. Not just any ad hoc increase in volume and intensity, no. A focused program of volume and or intensity towards a goal. And these are the two ways to get a big chunk. Why? Because taking a big chunk off requires speed and fitness. Your speed is your ability to go faster. And this requires strength, form, and a little bit of discomfort management. A focused program of speed will move your ability to race at a higher level by a big chunk. You will master the ability to execute race pace over a longer distance. Now, fitness, fitness is your aerobic capacity to do the work at a higher level of intensity over a period of time. To build aerobic fitness requires volume and pacing. So what does this mean in practical terms? First, an example of using intensity to build speed. So in my book, Marathon BQ, How to Qualify for the Boston Marathon in 14 Weeks with a Full-Time Job and Family, I outline an example of using an overwhelming dose of speed work over a relatively short training cycle to take a big chunk off. There's volume in that plan also, but it assumes you already have the fitness and you're looking to get the speed. And I wrote this down for people because I use this plan to take 30 to 40 minutes off my finishing time personally to qualify for Boston, and others have as well. The moral of the story is that if you're stuck and you have not done focused, overwhelming speed work before, a cycle of this type of training will give you a big chunk. It's non-linear. If you do the work, you get the chunk. So what about fitness? Fitness requires volume. And although you will gain fitness from any and all volume increases, a focused fitness building cycle focuses on a specific type of volume, and this is aerobic training. And again, what this looks like in practical terms is a big pile of hours at an aerobic effort level. For me, this means heart rate training in low zone two. So here's another case study from my personal experience. This summer, the training I did for the 100-mile ultra, I periodically do what's known as a threshold test. And I actually do this with my friend Arner, who's a founder of a company called Timewear that produces a smart garment. And this smart garment um, measures your thresholds. So the test that he does with me basically mimics a threshold test that you would get if you went to see the heart doctor, where they hang the electrodes on your chest and put you on the treadmill. Same thing. And in both cases, you're put on a treadmill, they increase the intensity, and they measure your heart rate and your breathing. And what they find is your, among other things, what they find is your aerobic threshold. And this is the point where you go from aerobic to anaerobic. So look all this stuff up if you have questions. I don't have the space to explain it all. Look up aerobic threshold for athletes and you'll probably find it. And why this is important is that you can race indefinitely at an effort level that is below your threshold. But once you cross the threshold, you're running on borrowed time. If you can move the pace at which you hit that threshold, you can run faster and longer. Got it? So the question is, how do you take big chunks 
off your aerobic threshold to get that fitness. So here's my story, my case study. Arner, he measured me right after the Boston Marathon this year with a threshold test. And this was my baseline. I was in decent aerobic shape coming off a cycle of hard marathon training, right? And then over the summer, I did that overwhelming cycle of volume and I did it at an aerobic pace, 90-mile weeks, 12-hour runs, massive aerobic work. And now Arnar did, and I, we did the threshold test again last month after the ultra, and he was knocked out of his chair astonished because I had moved my aerobic threshold by 12%. This means the pace, theoretically, the pace that I could hold without going anaerobic increased by 12% on an already fit baseline. And that's how you get big chunks of fitness. You do a cycle of overwhelming volume. This is how the pros do it. They actually do both at the same time. They cycle in in and out of volume and intensity. Now, the wheels should be turning in your head. Because I I know a lot of you folks, you tell yourself, I could never do that. (laughs) I could never take that big of a chunk off of my finish time? So my question to you is, what could you do if you improved your aerobic threshold by 12%? What could you accomplish if you could take 30 or 40 minutes off your marathon finishing time? And now you should maybe start to feel a bit uncomfortable because what I'm telling you is that it's possible, which means that the storyline in your head that says, I could never do that, is probably not true. Be honest with yourself. It's possible. You've just chosen not to do it. That's okay. It's your choice. Everyone draws their own line. Of course, there are ancillary things you have to do to get these big chunks. Somewhere in the process, you're going to have to clean up your form and be efficient. You're going to need to get strong and flexible enough to support this volume and intensity. And you may need to fix your diet to support your machine. You're going to have to wrap your head around the emotional focus required to go to the dark place and do the work. And more than likely, you will need to find a coach to help you navigate the correct volume and speed for you. But I'm here to tell you, big chunks are possible. If you want to get overwhelmingly different results, you need to do overwhelmingly different training. It's not rocket science. The biggest barrier is understanding that it's possible. And it is possible for you. And now for today's featured interview. Hey, it's getting cold, huh? It's getting to be fall. It's getting to be marathon season. Jonathan, you got one coming up, right? Yes, sir. Uh, I never thought the heat would break from this summer. It was, I don't know how it's been up in New England, but it has been ridiculously humid here at the Jersey Shore, so... Yeah, we got it some of the same days, and it's just uh, it, it's super uncomfortable. But I did a lot of my summer training. I was training for a 100-mile ultra, so a lot of it was in the woods, and it's not as bad when you're in gotcha. the woods. So it's been a long journey for you, and I want to talk to you about uh, perseverance because I've been quite impressed. I think maybe it's just the way you're wired, but maybe we can learn something about sort of overcoming obstacles here. Because, I mean, oh, give you, us – start. Start way back with the whole runner's world thing. You know, you've been you've been in this transformation hard for what, six, seven, ten years now? I'll tell you what, I did my first marathon in nineteen ninety nine. 
So I've been doing them for almost 20 years, but just as a participant, never with any real goals uh, and definitely minimal training. I was always a big guy. The runner's world thing happened in 2012. That was right after the Hawaii Ironman that I had. I was doing Ironmans at the time. I did Lake Placid first, and then I lotteried into Hawaii and did that. And that led to the runner's world shoot. That was, yeah, almost uh, six years ago now. Right, exactly. You went from wherever you were before that to being an Ironman. But looking at those pictures, you had to be pushing 230? Yep, 241 before training. And then the runner's world picture, 195, but that was pretty lean for me at the time. So that, that was that transformation. And then, as I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, I had to transform from that to now in order to get where I wanted to be. Yeah, and you and I ran into each other because you wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. You had to take a whole bunch of time off, so you were uh, you were trying to insert some speed speed work in there, and you got close, but that didn't quite close it for you. And now you've been on this journey for for what two years now to get to the qualification? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. And how many how many tries did it take you? Well, I did. I used your plan the first year, which got me super fast, and it got me faster than I had ever been. I mean, like I said, I've been doing these almost two decades, and you got me. Uh, my best was a 3:54 before I found your book, and I did one cycle, one 14-week cycle of your plan with some reasonable body comp and diet watching. Not really much on that side, but mostly just the speed work I did using your plan, and I was able to get it down to a 3:29. So that was huge for me. That was last September, and then I foolishly tried to, I thought it was maybe a fluke that I, you know, I quote, just missed, even though we know that that's not a just miss. That's a, yeah. I needed pre- pretty much nine minutes off of that to even have a shot, and, and that's a lifetime. So I did try six weeks later and basically got the same result. And so I realized after that, that if I wanted to get something that I have never gotten before, then I have to do things that I have never done before. And so from last October to now, uh, I've done things, uh, some things stay the same and some things were a lot different. So, but you're a busy guy, right? You're a doctor, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't see patients anymore. So I do consulting, but so I'm not on call or anything anymore. Like my uh, colleagues are still, but, but yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, I got kids and I mean, every, everyone's busy. Everyone's got stuff going on. So I was just impressed that you got to the end of the cycle with the speed work and had a major, you know, major win. Like you're saying, you took a half an hour off your finishing time. Um, with you know, if you do it percentage-wise, that's a pretty big chunk of percentage. And then instead of saying, "Well, you know, that worked okay," I guess I'll move on to something else. You said, "Nope. Now I'm going to see. Now, now I got to get to. That's just the plateau. I'm going to get to the next level." <laughs> so, what what was the thought process there? <laughs> <clears throat> The thought process was a result of life events, which, as we know, life just kind of happens. And I had a really uh, rough fall and winter last year and just personal stuff. And I basically got to the point where I actually pulled your book out again, reread the first chapter again, which, as we all know, describes what it feels like to run Boston itself from start to finish. And then I reread your chapter on the dark place several times. And given all the crap that was going on in my life at the time, I said to myself, you know what? This is it. I got no more excuses and I have no more reasons to not 
try anymore and to not give this 100%. And so I basically said, so much as these words, I, that I will qualify for Boston this year, this next year, or I will die trying, meaning I will pull out all the stops. What I had to do next was figure out what wasn't working. No, if I remember correctly, you were getting to, you know, the classic wall play and and losing it, you know, losing your pace. Um, Absolutely. Pretty Heart common, rate and right? pace pretty were common. divergent. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. And and what that, you know, typically what I would tell people to do, because let's face it, my plan is a shortcut, right? Um, it's kind of assumes that you already have the base. But, you know, if I was giving you coaching, which I don't give coaching, I would say, you know, go back and work on the base for a couple cycles. Like, yep. I'll give you an example. This summer I trained for this 100-miler, and I did a couple of 90-mile weeks. And I dropped my threshold by, like, you know, amazing, like 12% just doing that long, slow time on the feet yep. stuff. And, I'm, and like you, I've been doing this since the mid-90s. So it's really doing different things. But for you, you know, to get through that 26 miles, you need that, you need that, um, that base fitness, right? Yep. And so you went out and, and uh, signed up, signed up for the Hansons project, guys. I did. Well, that? I did a couple things first. I, I, I kind of researched and, and I came up with sort of a multi-pronged plan. And the first, first and foremost was I knew no matter which training plan I signed up for, and no matter what I was going to endeavor to do for however many weeks it was going to take, I had to get lighter. It's just physics. Yeah. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. And this is where I came up with that sort of, you know, mantra that the unicorn don't care because it doesn't matter that it's, you know, quote all muscle or mostly muscle or whatever. It doesn't matter how I'm built. I'm 5'11 and I was 195 pounds. Yeah. And yeah. that's my walking around <laughs> weight. And it's, it's, that's, I mean, it is a lot muscle. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not a bodybuilder, but it's, it's, you know, it, it, it is a lot muscle, but like I said, unicorn don't care. It doesn't matter. It's, it's mass through space over time. You know, you either meet the standard or you don't. And so I realized no matter what, I had to get lighter. So that took me down a different road. The first thing I did is start being very, very, very accountable for every calorie. So, Chris, I have logged almost every single calorie that has crossed my lips since January 1st. Did you go with a sort of a low-fat thing? Or, so I, use, I mean, low protein? Yep, I use a Lose It app just to track the foods that I would eat. And then I didn't really commit to a, you know, I didn't go paleo or I didn't go Atkins or anything like this. I, I did for other reasons. I'm also pre-diabetic, so I, I wanted to stay away from the, the carbs and the refined sugars if I could. Yep, um, yep, yep, that yep. also kind of dovetailed with my next prong of the plan, which was coming across the Hanson's plan, really going back to my ex-phys days and, and really understanding that graph about the overlap of, of anaerobic and aerobic uh, metabolism yep. and fueling. And, and the idea of that's also where I came across uh, the math, the, the, I guess, maximal aerobic function, Phil Maffetone's work. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. And I put it all together. I, I basically just put it all together and said, here's what we're going to do. In the out season, we're going to just do long, slow jogs, staying, keep yep. my heart rate down under math, which is basically just base building, nothing earth shattering. Yep. yep. No, but, but I was religious um, about it. It it physically um, changes the mitochondria levels in your cells, right? Yep. By doing that, it sort of restructures how your um, body works, and that's what we mean when we say base fitness, right? That's that big yeah, base. Yeah, and it also made me a wicked good fat burner, which was the next best. And I realized going back and looking at the graphs of my performance for both uh, during both those marathons is that 
I basically was running on vapors at the end because I hit the wall yep. and it was all pretty much carbs and, and glycogen depletion. And I realized that if I can change my fueling system to not depend on the carbs until absolutely necessary, if they're there, great, but really become a good fat burner. So the, the shorter answers to your question are, uh, I started logging my food, weighing myself constantly. I, I did use a calorie budget each day, but I did preferentially completely uh, switch to fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables, and I ate a, a ton of dairy and meat, actually. Yeah, but so uh, did that, um, very low carb. Did that help your, did that help your uh, diabetes markers at all? Did you see any changes uh, there? They didn't get worse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> genetics is uh, genetics is kind of rough to get around, but uh, they didn't make it worse. Okay. So uh, still, we still keep an eye on my A1C, but uh, it, it certainly didn't make it worse. I mean, man, I grew up. I mean, come on. I, I was, you know, I was a fan. Of, I was eating four Eggo waffles a day with peanut butter and jelly and bagels and pretzels and pizza. And I mean, I for years I ate all that carb crap, and and I finally just. I made that switch. I, I got rid of all artificial sweeteners too. So I stopped with the diet sodas. I stopped with the Splendas, the Equals, Aspartame, yep, yep, nothing yep, diet. Yep. So those are the dietary yep. changes I made. So it's interesting when you talk about, you know, that, that marathon where you're hitting the wall at, you know, 18 miles in, right? And you're absolutely right. It, that's when the, that's when the flare, the flare goes out, right? And people look at that and they go, Oh, that means I'm not getting enough carbs. It's like, no, <laughs> because you don't know how to burn fat. Right. And so the math helps with that big time. So that was this was yep. kind of all working together because it was also helping me become a fat burner. I started running fasted, too, so I, I wouldn't really eat big breakfast. I'd take a scoop of peanut yep. butter and yep. my coffee. That's really all I would have before yep. noon. I still do it that way. And I'll run, and then I'll eat a little heavier later. But the dietary changes, and specifically, Chris, the logging of the calories made me accountable and I started seeing results. You know, the, the scales, Wi-Fi, everything's all connected. And, and I could, I had a, basically, I still do I have a big uh, caloric budget each day. And I balance it like a bank account. And uh, I, I have hit a plateau this cycle, but it's starting to come off again before the next race. Um, but I was able to get down. So January 1st, I was 198. And for my April marathon, I got down to 179, but I think I raced at about 183. So that's still significant. That's 15 pounds. And as we know... Yeah. Each pound is about two seconds per minute but, per mile. But you feel it. Um, you feel it when you're out oh, yeah. on your oh, yeah, on yeah, your yeah, tempo. Yeah. I mean, I you those tempo like, runs. You feel the pop yep. in your legs. Yes, sir. So that was the first step. The second step, as you uh, mentioned earlier, was I did um, I did read up on and ultimately use the Hanson's plan. And really, the, the 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 only real thing about it that I liked that that I think fit my needs. It wasn't even really that I liked, but it, it, it hit where I was lacking that perhaps yours, as you said, because it was it, yours is so abridged because of the time frame was the tempo runs. Um, cause oh, enhanced yeah. tempo runs are race pace. And so I remember for yours, when I used your plan, I was a little bit nervous going into the races cause I had never really dialed in race pace. We, we were, you know, we're running crazy above it and we're, we're running below it. But I remember asking questions also. I, I was kind of like, am I just going to fall into it? And I, I did for the first 18 miles. <laughs> but then, it, it, obviously, the wheels fall off. The thing I liked about Hanson's was before the race, I had 18. It's also longer, of course. It's 18 weeks. Um, I did do their advanced plan, so the mileage was more um, also, which that helped. It was like 50, 55 a week. But the thing that I really think helped me specifically where I was lacking was the tempo runs and the strength runs. Their strength runs are 10 seconds faster than tempo. 
and their tempo pace is defined as marathon goal pace. So the good thing was when I showed up on race day, I had over 150 miles at race pace. So I knew kind of like you wrote in your book, you just know how it feels without even looking. The, the third no, thing is ahead. I used the Garmin for what it is. I actually started programming the workouts into the watch, having all four data fields constantly visible and constantly comparing current pace to lap average pace. And I found yeah. that by doing that, I was able to pace like a machine. And then eventually I burned it into myself where I could run like that. And yeah. I still do that. I, I still use the watch for that. So yeah. those were the, the, really the changes that I made. Yeah, so did they have you doing step-up runs, you know, fast-finish runs, step-up runs? Not specifically, but I did add them in. So they're, the, the, the things that are unique about them is their long runs are, are quote, only 16 miles. I did run usually the last three or four of those of the fast-finish because um, yeah. I just felt like I had to do something to that nature. Yeah. And I would occasionally run uh, one of the – I ran all – by the way, I ran all the easy runs as math runs. So I didn't even I didn't even look at pace for easy runs. I looked at heart rate only. So some days yep. I was slogging yep. along at 12 12 minute miles, and other days I'm I'm doing eight minute miles on an easy run. It just depended on what my heart rate was doing that day. Uh, right. It seems to have worked. It helped get the weight off. It helped. The, the thing I noticed the most, Chris, now is that my heart rate is a lot lower this year than it was last year at this time for you know intense runs. Um, the other thing I noticed right. is my volume is, is obviously much different also, and I'm certain that they're related. I think uh, I looked back in the year, the prior year, I had run, I think, 1,200 miles within those 12 months, which was a lot for me then. I just look now, and I'm at 2,200 miles for the last 12 months. So that, so, obviously, as you so, said, you get all the changes from that. So working this hard, how are you able to keep your head in it week after week, being in the dark place the whole time. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, this is the best part, man. This is what I wanted to talk to you about. So I'm in, I'm, I'm at the Jersey shore, you know, it's, you're in new England. It's cold there. It's cold here. It's windy here, right off the ocean. It's the boardwalk, you know, and everybody's posting about treadmills and going to the gym. And ironically, I can't go to the gym because if it's snowing or icy so bad, I, I have a, a stupid midlife crisis sports car and that I can't drive it in the snow. So I was basically landlocked on the days where there was bad weather and I didn't have a treadmill. So I was like, all right, I got to do something. So I, I bought a pair of those yak tracks. Sure. And yeah. I, I basically told myself no matter what this winter, this past winter. So from January through April, no matter what, I'm going to go outside and, and do these workouts outside on the boardwalk in the street. And Often yeah. it wasn't the snow or the ice that was the problem. It was the 10 degrees and the you know 30-mile-an-hour wind and the ridiculousness of it all. But I did it. Yeah. And the more I did it, it, that became like this thing. Like I just had to keep doing it. Like, I, like a treadmill, no treadmill zone. It's stupid. It's foolish. But in my mind, I was like I was, I was hardening myself to anything. I was like becoming bulletproof. And if I can do these right. runs looking like Ralphie from Christmas Story with four layers on, you know, and a ski mask and huge gloves and three pants, pairs of pants on, you know, if I can do these and, and hit my paces in this, then race day yeah. is going to seem like a, a breeze. So that kept me going through also this dark time in my personal life. The, the training actually, I was able to channel everything towards the training and it ultimately really did pay off on race day. I like that as well, right? When you're out there and you get that 30 mile an hour headwind, and it's 10 degrees out, and you just 
he just starts screaming, right? Is that all you've got? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it clears your head, right? And, yep. But, you know, if I can do that, you, you sit there on race day and you go, if I can do that, then this is nothing, right? It goes on the it goes on the hard drive upstairs. I always that kind of points my head and say the all it goes in the adversity bank. It goes on the hard drive and say, oh, wins. Hey, guess what? We trained in that all winter long, you know, and you know, cold or or whatever. In this case, heat for the summer. Same thing. It all goes on the hard drive. You know, it all goes into that experience hard drive. And I, I'm fully convinced that you draw from that during hard points in your race and in your life. But you have to have you have to be able to make the decision and say I'm going to do this, right? You have to be able to to flip that switch that says, hey, I'm going to go out and do that track workout, or I'm going to go out and run, you know, in the freezing cold. Um, yes, and that sir. and that's something, you know, that's a decision. So how do you how do you make that decision where other people can't? I don't I don't know if it's that they can't, and I don't know if it's necessarily that I'm you know anything special. I think it's just that. To me, I, I think everyone has to ask themselves the question, why? Why are you doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are, we, why are any of us doing this ridiculous sport when you think about it? And we all have our own reasons. And this winter, uh, they became, uh, I mean, I had done, you know, my race resume was, was fairly decent before I even thought about trying to qualify for Boston. You know, Hawaii was something that I lotteried into. And yeah, I did it. And yeah, I had to do a full Ironman just to validate it. But I got picked out of a hat for it, you know. Boston, this was something that I got to earn, that everybody has to earn no matter what. And like I said, Unicorn don't care. They don't, it doesn't, they don't care about my stories. It didn't care about my personal life or the, you know, the, the hell I was going through this winter or that anybody goes through. All it cares about is your time. And there was something about that, Chris, that I bought into. Something about that grabbing, yeah. that yeah. just nothing else. I, I curse a lot, so I'm trying not to curse here, but nothing else freaking matters except what's your finish time on that day. Just give me your best time. Do your best. The focus and the fuel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it just it be, after a while, you're so committed, you have so much vested that you're not going to turn back. It's basically showing up for yourself every single day. And you're like, well, okay, we did this yesterday. You know, and it was just like your book said, today we do this. Tomorrow we're going to do this. The next day we're going to do this, and it's mindless, and you completely lose. I think you said it too. You lose yourself, and you find yourself at the exact same time. And I really that kind of hit home with me this winter when I was out there. I'm the only one out there, of course. No one else is dumb enough to do this outside, you know. And and uh, and and also I got to say the you know reaching out. I I typically I I kind of have a small personal circle, but I I did reach out over the last year and, and make some really good running friends and running buddies and. It, that has been huge. You know, it started with your Facebook group and then the Hanson's Facebook group and, and just people I've met even in person here at the track, which I never would have been at had it not been for you. You know, so that helps also in, in just keeping you honest. And, and it's just kind of like, I mean, Strava is one thing. Everybody just kind of likes it and moves on or, or doesn't like it or whatever. But, you know, it's different when you text your friend and you send him a screenshot or your friend texts you and said, hey, I did this today. You know, you inspired me. I did this today. What did you do? I got mine. Where's yours? It's your turn. There was, there was something so, about that that really fired me up, too. So as you're going through this, you must have had bad days, right? <laughs> yeah, sir. And you get out, and you hit the workout, and you just can't finish it, or it goes terrible, right? So, yep. you know, how do you, how, how do you talk yourself back into the game when that happens? I try to use football analogies and be like, I'm, I, I know you're a New Englander. I'm a, I'm 
native New Yorker, so I'm, I'm a Giants fan. And, you know, Eli and everybody, all good quarterbacks, they have to have instant amnesia. You know, they learn from their mistakes, but they, they can't be thinking about them. They have to just move on, you know, to the next one. And um, there's some you'd like to have back. There's some that weren't were ill-advised, but they just have to move on instantly. And that's kind of how I, I had to be. I, I certainly struggled with it uh, at times. The first cycle for this spring, I don't think injury was too much of an issue. This cycle, I've had some injuries and just between that and the heat, and I've been struggling with getting the weight down again, that the adversity creeps in in different ways and at different times. And I think the answer to your question, the, the best thing you can do is just, you know, I mean, I hate throwing around quotes of other people and stuff, but I think I think it was Des Linden that said it, that you just keep showing up. You just keep showing up for yourself and you you know, you never know what's going to happen on race day. But the one thing I'll tell you this, the one thing I definitely, the conclusion I came to all by myself was that, look, I can do all this stuff. And that still doesn't guarantee that I'm going to qualify for Boston. The only guarantee that I can make is if I don't do all this stuff, then I definitely won't. And that kind of, that kind of got me right back on the horse. If I had a crappy workout or if I missed my paces and I couldn't really even think of a good reason why or an excuse or explain it away, like, oh, there was a 10-mile-an-hour wind, or, oh, it was 10 degrees out, or, oh, I didn't eat, you know, or I got three hours sleep or whatever, I would just say, look, just on to the next one. It's a long – 18 weeks is a long time. And, you know, just just keep just keep showing up, like, like she says. I heard something interesting along the same lines. I was listening to an interview of a lady who's startup CEO – real powerful lady and the guy asked how do you how do you find the time to balance everything in your life and she said well i eliminated regret i eliminated regret i love it oh so i I don't regret anything that saves me a lot of time (laughs) wow that's That's, i mean that's great to hear that's really tough to execute i don't i have a tattoo actually that says no regrets but it's k-n-o-w as in not no N-O-W, it's, it's know your regrets, like don't, don't ever forget them. That, that's interesting. I thought yeah. you were going to say um, uh, that she was going to say, you know, I don't find the time I make it because that's, that's definitely something that, that is a yeah, factor as well. Uh, yeah, nobody has enough time. So I'll let you exactly. go, but the punchline the punch here, Jonathan, is that you showed up last spring, right? And you, uh, and you got your time. Yes, sir. Right? Five minutes and 12-second cushion. Yes, sir. Not only did you get your time, you beat it by five minutes. So total, you took, if I'm getting this right, about 35 minutes off your qualifying time. Yeah? Off my, uh, you mean my, my PR, you mean from? Um, yeah. My old PR? Yeah. Yeah. I got it down yeah. from a 354 to a 319 and change. Yep. Yeah. So brilliant. And that's all just <laughs> from staying with it. And, you know, a couple other things. You went out and you looked around and you said, did the research. You said, how do I do this, right? So you got a method. You got a plan. You found people who had done it before and said, okay, I'm going to do what they did, right, which is oh, a you're great one strategy. Of them. Don't forget, you're, you're, you're one of them. <laughs> so I yeah, took a lot yeah. from your plan. I, you know, I didn't necessarily stick to the actual um, you, you know, nuts and bolts of the training cycle this time around, but I still have your book, and I still read it, you know, and, and yeah. you're one of them. So I appreciate that. Yeah, we're happy for you. But that perseverance, I think there's something you can learn from that, right? The other thing I notice is looking at your when you post your workouts on Facebook is your paces are so consistent now. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting those, those mile splits plus or minus three seconds, right, on these, <laughs> on these long workouts. So I think you've learned how to, 
I think you've learned how to run. I, I'll tell you, it, you know, I, I'll give credit to the watch because I, I use my Garmin as it's designed to, to help me do that. But I also got to say, that's exactly how I race, man. Like, if you look at the splits for that marathon in the spring, I basically raced like that. Each split was within five seconds of each other. And I had enough juice at the end to actually sprint the last mile, basically. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, dude, I'm hoping for a repeat performance in four weeks. I'm going back down to Atlantic City, and we'll see if we can make it happen for 2020. So I'll keep you posted. All right, so I'll let you go. Anything uh, anything you want to leave people with? Thank you uh, and anyone listening, actually, uh, just for the opportunity and inspiration. Because I will say yeah. that I never, ever, ever would have thought that I would be talking to you or anybody about qualifying for Boston. So, Yeah, so it just goes to show you, if you're willing to do the work, you're willing to hang in there, you can do it, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, congratulations. Thanks, man. It was great talking to you again, Chris. And uh, and uh, we'll see you in Hoffington. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Focus. When Alexander the Macedonian confronted and defeated Darius the Persian, first at Isis and then on the plains of Gargamela. The Macedonian army was outnumbered three to one and fighting in a hostile foreign land far from home. How was this young king able to win these battles and gain control of the known world? Alexander was able to focus his best strength at the place where it could make the most difference the heart of the Persian lines and their king. And you have to picture this. In the ancient world, large armies would basically line up and drive at each other in waves until one broke and ran. The Macedonians could not really afford to do that. They were outnumbered three to one. So instead, Alexander used his veteran companion cavalry and hardened hoplite phalanx to drive a stake through the heart of the Persian army. So to begin the battle, what Alexander did was he attacked the Persian far right with his mobile cavalry. And this caused the front line of the Persians to stretch out in that direction. Then Alexander then disengaged his veterans and wheeled a narrow narrow wedge, led by himself personally, right into the center of the Persian line where the king was. With this focusing of power, he was able to cut through the line send the king running, and break the larger Persian force by cutting off its head. Focus enables you to multiply your forces for effectiveness. You can use focus in your life and in your training to do the same. You can take your limited energy and ability and focus it to achieve goals that you may not have thought possible. The first thing that enables us to focus is having clear, compelling, quantified goals. That's why qualifying for Boston is such a great focusing goal. It's black and white. There's no no wiggle room. You either have the time or you don't. The goal gives you a clear point to line up your resources towards. That The goal gives you a way to sort and filter your activity. You can look at your activities and say, hey, it either moves me towards my goal or away from my goal. But the goal needs to be compelling because 
To achieve the goal, if it is a worthy goal, it's going to take investment and sacrifice, real or imagined. The goal needs to have enough gravity to pull you emotionally through the hard times. You need to be able to answer that question, is it worth it, in the affirmative, even when you're in the darkest place. The goal then becomes your beacon when you are thrashing in that sea of desolation. You can see in our interview today with Jonathan some of the tactics to make your goal more compelling, to help you own your goal. And the first is declaring the goal. The simple statement of saying, I will do this or die trying, engages the ego. And the ego doesn't like to lose. It's a dangerous and tricky psychological game, but you're basically tying your self-worth to the goal. And the next thing is declaring the goal publicly. And this gives you the emotional heft of not wanting to look like a failure to your tribe. And then there is the self-talk or the mantra. These are basically affirmations. Unicorn don't care. What a great affirmation. What a great way to cut through to the core of that feeling sorry for yourself. Unicorn don't care. Every great project has a mantra. You know, Alexander's army probably had some sort of mantra based around Xerxes trying to conquer the Peloponnese earlier. You know, you remember that whole 300 Spartans thing? So these social mantras, they rally a whole organization around a goal. And with the goal in place and the appropriate sustainable energy around it, you're ready to drop your focus down into the execution of that project. The first step on focusing your energy is to find out what it is going to take to get to that goal. How do you do that? Well, you find someone else who has done it and mirror the successful behaviors they have used to achieve that same goal. Remember, the key to successfully using focus is to do only those things that are going to get you to the goal. And by copying a successful template, you save yourself a lot of trial and error. And sometimes this means not only copying the success template, but also finding a mentor or mentors. And this is another reason that these transformational goals have a lasting impact. They require the participant to upgrade his or her quality of advisors. This understanding of how others got there also gives you a frank assessment of how much of an investment is going to be required. In our world, that means looking at the training and realizing you are going to need to commit to more miles, harder miles, more hours, etc. And this can cause some people to step back once they realize the investment required. But if the goal is compelling and they can whip up the passion for it, they can flip the script and make the difficulties part of the driving force that focuses them even more. Let me say that again. Make the difficulties part of the driving force that focus you, focuses you even more. And now you have found that support system and the plan, and it's time for execution, time to invest your focus in the day-to-day activities that stack up to enable you to reach that goal. And this boils down to finding or creating the habits that allow you to execute the plan. In one of these transformational type projects, chances are you will have to do some pattern breaking. You will have to do things differently than you have done before. 
And whether it's committing to a diet or doing the miles, you cannot earn the right to achieve that goal without making that investment. So you're going to have to break some patterns. You're going to have to find new habits, new ways to do that. So focus allows you to make sacrifices. It allows you to weigh your decisions in light of the goal. Sometimes this will manifest as selfishness or, and, and self-serving, but that is the core of it. You are serving yourself and you are serving the goal. When you focus, you will, you will naturally pull away from other activities and people that are not on that path. Mantras help with the execution as well. You know, you look out the window at that snowy, windy, below zero day, and you have the self-talk to get you out the door. Waking up and then running a two-hour tempo run on a morning so cold they're chipping dead bodies out of the Charles River, that takes a certain amount of self-talk. Unicorn don't care. And in the end, we celebrate. That focus has earned us the right to stand among the few who did the focused work to fight for that goal. And if the goal is worthy, you may not achieve as much as you hoped, but the journey will still change you. Consider yourself blessed if you're one of the lucky ones who have found a goal that compels you, a goal that you are so passionate about that it forces you to focus your entire being on it, a goal that changes you. That's the stuff of life. That's focus. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Thank you, my friends, for joining me for episode 4-396 of the Run Run Live podcast. Hopefully you were able to find the focus to stay with me. Like I said, the Bay State Marathon is on Sunday, and I didn't manage to get as light as I wanted, but I'm healthy, and I had a reasonable training cycle. I did more speed work than coach normally gives me to get some leg speed back to go with that aerobic fitness from the from the ultra marathon. And that's my challenge. I'm fit enough to go the distance, but my legs are the constraint. Uh, it looks like the weather is, like I said, going to be a bit chilly for the race, which is good for me. I'd much rather have the cold than the hot. And like I said in the intro, my plan is to hang on to the back of the pace pack and see what I have in the high miles. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a month's worth of meal plans from Rachel and the coach. And the, the training site that he uses, that we use, it's called Daily Fit Book. And you can go check it out. And that's how I get my workouts. And for the last month, I've gotten three recipes a day in my workouts, which was cool. And the meals are a lot more paleo type than I'm used to. But I have successfully learned to make frittata and turkey burgers. And I also make a nice coleslaw now. Uh, so real men, they make coleslaw, right? Yeah. These protein-heavy meals, they fill you up more. And also the rest of my family doesn't hate them. So it's not so bad. One last thing for you as I head for the exit. Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know. You find yourself in a meeting or a situation and you and you wonder, holy cow, everyone's looking at me counting on me, and who am I? I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, etc. for this. I'm a fake. What can I do so they don't find me out? I mean, obviously, I'm not describing this for me. I'm speaking for a friend. But a consequence of this kind of thought process is your inner turmoil, your inner noise, your inner insane dialogue gets so loud 
it crowds out everything else, and you're immobilized just when you need to be a better version of yourself. Your inner insane dialogue, which, by the way, no one else is thinking except you, prevents you from rising to the very occasion that you're stressed out about to begin with. <laughs> Here's what you can try. Here's a trick I've been trying lately that I like. couple of tricks. Before the next interaction, do some practice. Practice this. So find a quiet place, relax, put yourself in a meditative state, quiet yourself, shush those voices, maybe close your eyes, picture your head as a big circle, like a pie chart, and picture that pie chart as having two slices. Now, the first slice is a red-orange colored, and it's all the insane negative self-talk. And the other slice is your clear-thinking normal self. Maybe it's a gray or a nice green-blue. And when you go into these stressful interactions, the red-orange side of the pie chart grows until it crowds out the nice blue-green, smart, well-spoken slice. Like a balloon, it fills up with that red-orange, and all you have in there is that insane self-talk. And instead of paying attention and focusing on what you're delivering or what the other humans are saying, all your sanity gets crowded out into that little slice and you don't hear anything anyone else has to say. And it leaves you with this tiny slice of your effective thinking to use. And this response basically disables you and keeps you from being your best self in that situation. So instead, practice visualizing that circle, that balloon filling with that blue-green rational thought and pushing that red-orange out. Picture that red-orange just dissolving away and being replaced by this openness. And if you can get good at this in the moment, you can catch yourself, and it's a trick to refocus. You'll actually smile when you do this, and you realize that you're not listening to the person who's talking to you, or you've forgotten what you have to say, right? And you can just refocus this way. And no one else really cares about the noises in your head, so practice clearing that out and being present. Do it for us. Do it for the rest of us. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Okay. Okay. See if we can get this done before my wife rolls in <clears throat> and the dog will stay quiet.